Hi, this is Cal Quantrill, and you're listening to the East Village Times Podcast. NL West, SD across the chest, youth movement, really dope ex-prospects, Big Willie, leader of the young pups, they hating on us, watching you them jump up, we ain't care, we ain't scared of nobody, the outfield, mad skills, lottie dotty. Austin Hedges throwing out everybody, we at the ballpark, every game's a party, ignorance is bliss, so we never trip, if the pitching's up the pod, and watch out for the kids, EVT is out here broadcasting, EVT is out here podcasting. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Padres EVT podcast. Padres EVT podcast. Greetings and welcome to the East Village Times podcast. I'm your host, James Clark, and with me, as usual, is Patrick Brewer. What's going on, Patrick? How are you doing on this Monday evening? I am staying awake. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Baseball America list just uh, just dropped. Um, I know as Padre fans, we need prospect list things like this in order to get us through the day and, and get us through the baseball season. So um, your thoughts? I guess there's not really much of a surprise as far as the six that were included. Uh, possibly a couple names maybe could have made it towards the bottom of the list. I was a little surprised in that regard. But um, initially, give me your thoughts of the Baseball America top 100 list uh, I mean I think I'm most surprised that the Braves had so many guys on the top 100 I mean they had 8 that's uh, yeah. pretty crazy I mean between the Braves, Padres, uh, White Sox Yankees and Brewers you got about 30 or 40 I think at least like 30 guys maybe closer to 40 so those those 5 teams kind of dominated the list but mm-hmm. yeah I mean I, I expected as many guys, um, not really surprised with who was on there, where they were at. I mean, obviously Tatis is number one, number one on the Padres list. So, uh, I mean, I think it's fair to say he's a top ten, top ten guy at this point. Um, Mackenzie Gore sits at twenty six, so he's above. I think the most important thing is he's above Hunter Green, the guy the Padres didn't select because they didn't get the chance. So um, yep. he's above him. Royce Lewis uh, sits right above Gore. He was obviously drafted uh, number one in that draft. Okay. Um, Baez at twenty eight. Yeah, Baez at twenty eight, right above Green. Uh, Luis Arias. Ba- Baez at Baez at twenty eight is is interesting yeah, I mean, to me. <laughs> he definitely gained some helium uh, last year, but I, ca- I guess I want to st- somewhat lesser competition there. So I'm not ready to jump too far into the Baez train yet. I mean, I still think he's a great prospect, but I'm, I'm not ready to say like. He's like a, a a top rotation guy just yet. I mean, he's got the stuff. Um, he obviously had the success, but I think I want to want to pump the brakes a little bit. I think Mackenzie Gore is more of like the prototypical um, ace kind of profile, but I think Baez definitely could get there as well this year if he. I mean, I don't know if he. I'm guessing he probably starts in Elsinore, and we'll see how fast he moves. But I mean, I don't think it's out of the question to see him move kind of like. Um, we saw Denelson Lamette move through the system pretty quickly. He kind of jumped from high A, double A, triple A really all within like a calendar year. So I think you could see that with Baez if he if he maintains the stuff and, and kind of develops uh, further. I could see him making a big jump and maybe making the rotation sometime next year, but I'm not ready to give him that kind of top of the rotation uh, profile just yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, it was interesting that he ranked above Urias at, you know, Urias is 32 and Baez is 28. I know that Kyle's pretty high on, on Urias. Uh, 
you know, I don't know how much, how much influence he had in, in doing this list, but, you know, I'm happy to see Bias at 28, but it was a little shocking. I would have probably expected to see him in between Quantrill and, and Urias, but, you know, it's not our list. Yeah, I'm right. actually, I think I'm most surprised that um, Urias was as high as he was because I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of question kind of about how he profiles long term because he has no power and he's more of like a, a bat first kind of guy. I mean, his defense is, is solid, but not anything kind of to write home about. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised he, he climbed up uh, quite a bit, actually, and he's Pretty much the best second baseman outside of Scott Kingry of uh, Philadelphia. They're ranked right next to each other, 31-32. I'm surprised Cal Quantrill Quantrill fell quite a bit because I'm pretty sure he was, I think, I want to say like... 20s or 30s. I want to say, yeah, yeah, like 30 at the the worst uh, in their Uh midseason list right after the draft. So he fell quite a bit, but I mean, I think that kind of just goes to show he's been very, um, I don't want to say like... It hasn't been bad, but he's been very kind of just average and, and almost pedestrian so far in the Potters organization. I mean, I, I think he's just, he was just so hyped coming out of Stanford. Obviously, the injury was a big issue, and I've been kind of stressing that to people. I mean, whenever I talk about Quantrill, it's like you gotta you gotta admit that he's he missed almost two years of, of baseball because of that injury. So he's still kind of really getting his feet back under him, and he still hasn't really pitched a full season just yet either, so I'm really yeah. not ready to um, make too many judgments on him. Um, I still think he's I still think he's got front-of-line potential. Um, I would definitely say he's a step behind Gore and um, Baez at this point, even though he's at a higher level because he hasn't really shown as much as those two guys have. I mean, sure, Quantrill's pitching at a higher level, but he hasn't really shown that dominance that the other two guys have shown, even though they've obviously had the benefit of pitching at that lower level. Um... But yeah, I'm kind of interested to see how he responds this year, and if he obviously he's competing with uh, Lucchese and Lauer and Nix to get to the big leagues, whoever can get there the fastest. So I'm curious to see how um, that plays out this year, and kind of how those guys push each other. And then finally, you had Adrian Morhone at 66. Mm-hmm. Um, not much to say there. Uh, I think he's a guy who's got a chance to develop further and really climb the list as the season goes on. I think that's one thing to note is there's a lot of guys on this list. The top 20, I think most of the top 20, honestly, will, will be up in the big leagues this year. I mean, you have Ronald Acuna, I think, will, will get a taste at the, by the end of the year. Shohei Otani, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think Vladimir Guerrero, Ilo Jimenez, maybe hit or, hit or miss. Uh, Robles, Torres could both be up. Nick Senzel could be up. Um, Bo Bichette, maybe, maybe not. So, yeah, I think Tatis has a real shot to if not be number one, at least be top five uh, before the end of the year, simply because all these guys are going to be graduating. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. the the back half of that top 20, you got Forrest Whitley, Michael Kopech, Mitch Keller, Bueller, Honeywell, Tucker, Crawford, Reyes, Brinson, Adames, Mejia. I think most of those guys also are going to graduate. So, yeah, I think guys like Gore and Tatis realistically both could be top 10 by the end of the year um, if mm-hmm. all goes well, no injuries or anything. Um, Urias, I think Urias is up by the end of the year, so I think he's going to graduate. Um, I don't know if he gets enough playing time this year to really graduate, graduate, but I think he'll be in the bigs. Baez is a guy who, another guy who could probably be top 20, top 15. Yeah, so I think the Potters could end up with, by the end of the year, I think they could end up with maybe even like eight guys on the on the list. If you count, if you see like what Lucchese and uh, Lauer and Knicks can do, maybe those guys can jump in the back half if they don't graduate. Exactly. Um, guys like Gabriel Arias could get some helium. Uh, Jordy Barley, guys like that could all put together a good year and, and jump on the list as well. So yeah, I think there's no there's no doubt that this is a great system, and 
there, there's going to be guys fly, fly, flying through the system over the next five years, so we're going to have to see how it plays out. Yeah, no, what you're saying makes a lot of sense, and it leads me to a topic that uh, one of our writers, Sammy, is hitting on uh, in the next day or two, uh, and that's kind of predicting a 2019 Baseball America Top 100 list. Um, you hit on it. Uh, you know, Out of the top six that are there right now, uh, realistically probably Quantrill and Urias probably get a taste of major leagues this season. Tatis could also maybe. But when you look at Gore, Bias, and Morahone, those three are, are guaranteed to be on this list next year. Uh, and, and then you can add names, like you said, Lucchese, uh Anderson Espinosa, who should be... Oh, yeah, that's what I closer, Exactly, getting closer to return. Arias, Logan Allen, who Baseball America's already ranked pretty high in their top ten list as far as the Padres are concerned. Uh, and then you have like Onya, Lauer, Naylor, uh, Estuary Ruiz, who could jump up this season, uh, Hudson Potts. The, there's there's potential for them to get into the eight, nine, ten prospect, ten total prospects in this list next season because the majority of the Padres' talent is teenagers. So it's interesting for them to already have six in this list at this at this early stage is is really bodes well for the future of this franchise. I mean, we know all these guys aren't going to succeed. We're not trying to blow smoke up your ass. It's not It's not that uh, we're guaranteed a World Series title in 2020 and beyond, but there's a lot of talent coming, and they're going to be relevant major leaguers, and that, that's exciting for a franchise that's been just abysmal as far as producing talent for, for a long time. Yeah, I mean, no one's, a, no one's like a, a sure thing in terms of prospects. Like, no one's... No one's gonna always like hit, but I mean, some of these guys they have pretty pretty good floors. I mean, even if they yeah. don't end up being superstars, I think they can all be big leaguers and contribute at that level and be a part of a winning team. So, exactly. I mean, that's at worst, I think these guys are all big leaguers. So, at best, they could some of them could be superstars. I mean, look at Tatis; he's got all the makings of that. Baez and Gore have front of rotation potential. I think Quantrill and Lucchese could be like mid rotation, even better. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, lot to like here. Definitely. Yeah, no. And in 2018, a lot of these guys could make a huge jump. I mean, look at what Baez did uh, in one year. I mean, he came virtually out of nowhere to become the 28th ranked prospect in all of baseball. That's that's what kind of talent the Padres have. I mean, you look at someone like Chris Paddock, who we didn't even mention, who had a sub two ERA, was was striking out well over ten for nine innings uh, prior to his Tommy John surgery. He's going to be returning full season this year and should be a, a pretty good strength. So, you know, the names just keep coming. There's more and more and more. I mean, I could sit here and name more names for you. It's just uh, it's an exciting time to be a Padre fan, no doubt, right, Patrick? Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll save that for your top uh, 100 list, your update. Yeah, that, that'll be updated again. Yeah. Uh, okay, so moving on, uh, Hall of Fame ballot season is in full effect. Um, I think more than usual Padre fans are interested this season as Trevor Hoffman is eligible for the Hall of Fame and is right on the cusp of getting in. Let's uh, let's talk about the Hall of Fame for a little bit. Uh, EVT is doing a little bit of a balloting uh, just between us uh, 20 to 30 writers that uh, participated. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the results are when that comes out. But uh, give me your thoughts on the Hall of Fame balloting and um, who you think deserves to be be in in this this year that's that's pretty crowded, to be honest. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think this year, based on I think the last time I checked, it looks like there could be at least at least three or four guys making it this year, maybe even five, depending on how the vote swings. I mean, we're kind of yeah. only going off the public ballot so far, so it's kind of hard to really judge since there's so many votes that aren't a part of that ballot. But at least at least so far, it looks like we could have a pretty good class. I mean, I think Chipper Jones is obviously a slam dunk at this point. Um, mm-hmm. I think Jim Tomei is probably going to get in. Yeah, I hate I hate to be like probably, but I don't want to be no, like I think definitely the... for sure. But yeah, I think he's got a pretty good chance. Um, and, Edgar and Martinez Guerrero. is going to be kind of close. Uh, I think Vlad Guerrero is the Vlad Chipper and, and Tomei to me are the three. I don't know. I think Vlad. Are... I, I've kind of seen conflicting things about how close he really is, but yeah, I think he's I think he's got a pretty good shot. Um, Edgar mm-hmm. Martinez is always on the always on the cusp. I think um, he's kind of he's kind of there, but who knows if he's going to actually get in? Um, mm-hmm. Trevor Hoffman, same thing. I think Trevor Hoffman's on like I want to say seventy eight percent of ballots at this point in terms mm-hmm. of the public ballots. So yeah, he, he could he could fall off. He's definitely gained some votes among people that didn't vote from last time, so that's good. Uh, both Bonds and Clemens are about I think ten percent shy of where they need to be in terms of public ballots. Yeah, Vlad's at ninety five percent of public ballots. Hoffman's seventy seven. Chipper's ninety eight. Edgar's about seventy nine, eighty. Mike Musina's at seventy. I think Mike Musina's a guy who might be able to sneak in there. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jim Tomei at ninety three. Omar Vizquel at thirty. Larry Walker at forty. Yeah, those guys are probably going to come next year. I actually didn't look to see who's jumping on the ballot next year. I know that I think Mariana Rivera should be coming on, right? Rivera and I want to say Todd Helton is the other one. That's yeah, so those are the, I think those are, yeah those are the two guys that come to mind as the, kind of the big guys to jump on. But I think next year we could see it, it clearing up a little bit with if these some of these guys don't make it. I mean, someone like I think Larry Walker might finally get his due. Mike Musina if he doesn't make it this year. Um, God forbid if Trevor Hoffman doesn't make it or, or Clemens and Bonds as well. Those guys could be there. Um, I know we're all sick of talking about Trevor Hoffman. And almost be yeah, there. Well, so, yeah, so mean, next year we have. I'll read. I'll read the list for us. Mariano Rivera, which I think he's got to be a slam dunk at this point. Roy Holiday, which I mean, ooh, before that's... before everything happened with like him tragically dying, I think he was a borderline case. But I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. given I, I don't want to say given that he died, he'll get in. But I feel like given all that he's appreciation for his career and like what he meant to baseball over the last decade and a half i think i think he might have a chance maybe not on the first ballot but uh you said todd helton he's on the ballot andy pettit lance berkman roy oswald those are all good guys uh, andy pettit is kind of a debatable case uh yeah, miguel tejada padre great miguel tejada uh yeah. placido polanco which i've heard his name thrown around a lot by kyle glazer when we're talking about louis Sirius. uh okay. freddie garcia kevin euclid Derek lowe vernon wells Ted Lilly, Travis Hafner, Jason. I mean, I don't know if any of these, most of these guys probably won't actually end up on like public ballots. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they kind of have a fine line between who actually gets to be on the ballot. Uh, but yeah, so there's not a lot of, there's not really not a lot of competition coming in. So yeah, I think some of these guys will clear out next year. The guys that don't get in this year, I think have a pretty darn good shot of going in next year. Cause I think Marner Rivera is really the only slam dunk there. Maybe, maybe Helton's got a case. I think Andy Pettit's got a pretty solid case, but Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this year I'm. If I had to bet, I would say I'd bet on at least four guys getting in with um, Vlad, uh, Chipper Jones leading the way. Um, I think, like I said, I think Edgar's got a pretty good shot. Tomei, I think, at this point, almost a sure thing. 
And then Trevor Hoffman's more of a borderline. And then even Mike Mussina could get enough support. Yeah, I mean, those those five, Tomei, Chipper, Vlad, Hoffman, and Edgar are... Are pretty much on on the majority of the ballots, but let's 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 debate a little bit on the next five uh, potential Hall of Famers. Uh, let's start off with the PD thing. Uh, Bonds and Clements are the poster boys for that. Uh, they're. I mean, to me, it's it's their candidacy. I think the whole conversation yeah. is silly. There's really no reason to. At this point, there's no reason to keep these guys out anymore because, um, both because there's already guys in the hall that may or may not have used. I mean, I'm not gonna like throw Jeff Bagwell under the bus, but there's, <laughs> but I there's, just did. <laughs> there's reports of him may or may not using, and it's kind of the same with Bonds and Clemens. I mean, it's all most of it's hearsay. There's really only a couple guys that actually were positively tested. Uh-huh, so, uh-huh. and I think the bigger issue is that the guy who oversaw the league at that point, Bud Selig, who allowed this to happen because. Whether you like it or not, he allowed this to happen. He's in the Hall of Fame. So if he's in the Hall of Fame and he allowed cheating, and he, he, I think he, it's pretty explicit at this point that he allowed he allowed it to happen. I mean, there could have been more systems in place, and they chose not to because, I mean, the home run ball was good for the game. and They knew mm-hmm. that. The players knew that. Uh, they all saw the dollar signs. So they all benefited from it just the same. So if you, yeah, yeah. If you can allow him to be in there, I, there's no reason to say that Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens, whether they cheated or not, and even if they did cheat, I mean, these are two of the the best athletes. Um, even before they supposedly, especially Bonds, even before he supposedly cheated, I mean, he was one of the best players in the game. So, obviously, if he did cheat, which you could say he did, I mean, there's there's evidence to say that. Even if he did cheat, um, that just made him from a great ball player into probably the greatest hitter the best, of all time yeah. outside of Babe Ruth. And <laughs> Roger Clemens, you can make the case that he's the greatest pitcher of all time outside of... I mean, Cy Young, Walter Johnson, guys like that who pitched, who pitched when hitting wasn't even like a third of what it is now, or even a fourth. You know, it was, it was, the, it was a completely different game. So there's really no argument for those guys. And then, like, yeah, like Mike Mussina, he's the guy who deserves to be in. I mean, if you rank him yeah. among all pitchers already in the Hall of Fame, he's he sits pretty, pretty nicely above most of them. So yeah, I mean, I would take Mussina over Schilling any day as far uh, yeah, as Hall of Fame candidacy. I think Schilling's a Hall of Famer. Just based on, he's a guy I didn't mention. He's kind of, I think he's at sixty four percent right now. So he's another guy on the cusp. I mean, as a baseball player, I think he's a Hall of Famer. But as a human being, um, I, I know there's a character clause, and we kind of pick and yeah. draw the line. Which, as a whole other discussion, I mean, you got guys like Ty Cobb already in the Hall of Fame, and I mean, Ty Cobb was a, a racist for pretty much his whole career. So that's that's a whole different discussion, I think. But yeah, I just can't. I mean, we we did our vote. I just couldn't bring myself to vote for Schilling. Uh, for me, it's like if it, if you're a borderline guy, which I think Schilling's a bit of a borderline. I just can't. Um, I can't put aside the off the field stuff at this point. So. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of names that are that fall under this PD category. Manny Ramirez is probably one of the biggest that you don't see a big a big push for him, but he has 555 home runs. He has very solid offensive numbers. He played for almost 20 years or, or t- around 20 years. You know, I know he's was popped more than once, more than, you know, if we're going to let PD slide and we're going to let people that we 
have a strong suspicion of using, are we going to go down that route and, and allow someone like uh, Manny Ramirez, uh, Sammy Sosa, uh, Mark McGuire to eventually sneak their way in? Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think you got to just let everybody in because unless you for sure know someone did PEDs, and even if you do for sure know they did PEDs, back then at that time, it, it, I mean, sure it was wrong, but it wasn't really being regulated. So, I, I mean... Where do you draw the line, right? If Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame and he allowed this to go on under his watch, then how can you really deny these guys the recognition? And, yeah. and another another completely different <clears throat> argument is this is the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's no there, there's no really rule. I, I mean, I think this is more of just a Hall of Recognition than anything. So, I mean, whether a guy cheated or not, they're still part of the game, right? They're still part of the history, and you can't mm-hmm. you're never going to scrub Barry Bonds from history. So, why even bother yeah. trying? Exactly. Point? Well, okay, well, let's move on from all the PD, PD players because there's, you know, it is what it is. There's still plenty of players to talk about, uh, players like Jeff Kent, uh, Andrew Jones, Fred McGriff, Larry Walker, uh, Scott Rowland, uh, Johan Santana that are right there. Yeah, I don't want to say on the cusp, but they're in, in the ballpark of discussion on being eligible for Hall of, Hall of Fame candidacy. Uh, Larry Walker is someone I'd like to talk about, someone who I know that you're pretty high on someone that i know that you like as far as hall of fame um criteria at what point is the colorado factor going to be burdensome as far as him getting in you know we talked about todd helton a little while ago he's going to have to deal with that critique next season Uh, you know how much you know it it obviously playing in colorado affected him and, and made him a better hitter uh, prior to Colorado, Larry Walker was a 15 to 20 home run guy, barely hitting 300 in, in Montreal. Uh, you know, you can make the argument that he grew as a hitter and matured and became was able to become more powerful in this and that. But at, at what point do we look at numbers like that and discount what they did as far as uh, the production value? I'm. Um... To be honest, I think it's BS to use Coors as a way to, to discredit what he did because while while Coors does elevate your performance at home, I mean, it makes it harder to hit on the road. And so for a guy who can still, like, hit well at Coors and hit well on the road, which, I mean, I'm going to pull up his numbers right now because I don't know about Yeah, well, what were his, what were yeah, his he, splits? He did, he did better, I mean, not better on the road, but he was consistently good on the road to the point where you can't really say, oh, Coors. And I think I read a stat somewhere that said, um, Walker only played, I think, 30% of his career games at Coors, so you're discrediting the other 70% over 30%, which doesn't really seem... 30%? At, yeah. Oh, okay, at Coors, because it's... Yeah. yeah. So I'm well, saying yeah, okay. games played in Coors. Because, I mean, he played... Um, he yeah, played... but in, the, in those 30% games, he went 4 for 5 with 3 home runs and, nah, I mean, and 7 RBI. <laughs> I mean, it's you can't really discredit a guy for playing in the conditions he had i mean no i, and, I mean here, and you're here right. i, got, I and, pulled up the stats he he also played four years in montreal so that yeah and look at his numbers bit. in montreal montreal so, yeah, was a he, cavernous he, ballpark yeah too, he had but, a 150 I mean, wrc plus at home and a 126 away so i mean he was still a, he was still a great okay. hitter away i mean it's not like he was some scrub so no and if you look I, at his, I don't know if you look at his numbers i mean he's Right about in line with the average of uh, outfielders that are already in the Hall of Fame. Um, his seven-year peak, 44 war, was pretty much in line with everyone else we're talking about here. Um, his Jaws score, which is a, is a system developed by Jay Jaff, is basically it's the way to 
to better judge a guy and their Hall of Fame candidacy in terms of using career and seven peak war. So seven year peak is like the seven best years he had. Um, so yeah, by that measure, he's ahead of Jim Tomei, ahead of Scott Rowland, ahead of Edgar, ahead of Andrew Jones, ahead of See, Vlad I, Guerrero. I, I, so he's ahead I, of all I, these guys. I, that, that's that's those are that's those those are great things and those are great numbers. But the, when I think of Larry Walker, I think of a guy who couldn't get onto the field very often. I think of a guy who was always hurt. Looking at his numbers right now, he played in 150 games one time in his career. He played in 140 games or more three times in his career. You know, but I don't want to discredit him for being when... na- have nagging injuries and this and that. But there's, he was a great player, but was he a Hall of Fame candidate? I don't know. To me, I I I'm on the fence, and I'm I'm hesitant to to just issue him a Hall of Fame just because of of the huge numbers that he put up in '97, '98, and '99 when when we all know the ball was just absolutely just juiced in Colorado. I mean, look at his his, his numbers. I mean, yeah, he did. He you can't fault him for playing. It's 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 a, it's something that's 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 great about baseball. It's a debate that can rage on forever. Uh, Larry Walker will probably get in eventually. I think that he's going to have to wait a couple of years though, and the course factor is definitely going to be something, hey. and the injuries and, and the games played are something that's going to be an issue. Okay, so you want to hear something fun? What's up? It's going to just piss you off and probably piss everyone off, but uh, Larry Walker had a sixty-eight point seven career WAR. Mm-hmm. Tony Gwynn. Had a sixty-five oh, yeah. career war. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm not, I'm not well, discrediting Tony Gwynn at all. No, but I mean, Tony Gwynn was one of the greatest hitters of all had, time. But had six guys hitting in front of him and, and around him, and Tony Gwynn played on the 2001 to 2004 Padres, where he had Eric Owens in front of. Him. I mean, there's, there's, there's a reason why his stats weren't. I mean, if you put Tony Gwynn in, in a solid lineup, he he would have drove in 140 runs a year. But I mean, again, you can't. You it know is how I feel what it about is. RBIs, James. No, I, I know. I'm just using that as a, as a, you know, quite quite often than not, Gwynn went three for four on the game and got five, got three out of the five hits for the team as they lost five to one, and and that's just the reality of it. He was a great hitter on shitty, shitty ball teams. Uh, it it is what it is. Well, let's move on to someone like Jeff Kent, someone who. You know, I hated him as a ball player. I, I hate him as a person. <laughs> he was he's kind someone of a jerk, who huh? he, he's a big jerk. He he he's always jerk. he he went out of the way to say to tell people how much he didn't really care about baseball history, and he was just playing the game. And, and that that kind of was like a slap in the face to someone like myself. But the man has 377 home runs at second base, a hundred a 162 career OPS plus. He won an MVP. He should be in the Hall of Fame, shouldn't he? I mean, that's those are by far the best numbers for a second baseman, and all of the second basemen that have had numbers uh, that are around him are all in the Hall of Fame, and yet he's what is he at seventeen, eighteen, twenty percent? Um, yeah, I think he's he's in that lower range. Um, let me pull up. Let me pull up Jeff Kent. Yeah, he was he yeah. was very far down, and I didn't vote for Jeff Kent. He was very far down on my. On my totem pole. Um, yeah. So the average for Hall of Famers at second base is 69 war. Mm-hmm. Jeff Kent is at 55. Okay. Um, the average peak. Oh, the defense. The defense. The average seven-year peak would be 44. He's at 35. 
Well, well uh, look, what is his defensive war? I mean, he must have lost 30, 30 war off on defense. Let me, yeah, let me pull that up real quick. See, but that's yeah, why that, it, goes, that goes. That kind of goes back to the argument of so, like, how do you view guys like that? So it kind of compares to Edgar Martinez. So how do you view a yeah. guy who's all offense? Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's see. Well, at least Pitt. Edgar didn't go. No, didn't I mean, go on Pitt, the field. It wasn't and, terrible by Fangraphs. I'm looking at Fangraphs. He had a bad season with the Mets. Uh, he had one, two, three, four, five. He only had six negative seasons out of seventeen. So I mean, his defense wasn't okay. bad. His base running wasn't good, but it wasn't really a huge drain on value. Hmm. I mean, he was pretty consistently in like, yeah. I think to me, Jeff Kent just screams Hollow very good because he's like consistently his WRC plus was in like, I mean, like the, the his first six seasons it was in like the one hundred five to one hundred fifteen range. And he was mm-hmm. 139, 123, 159, 128, 147. So, I mean, there's only two years where he was over 130. Or, sorry, three years where he was over 130. So, I don't know. That's, yeah. that's an interesting case. I think he's, yeah, I think he's more of a borderline guy. But looking at every other second baseman that's in the Hall of Fame, I, I mean, he's, he's even below, I think, Ian Kinsler, Dustin Pedroio, Chase Utley, the guys that played today. I mean, he's even below those guys. Ooh, Robinson Cano yeah. as well. I think you just made the case for him, for me not voting for him. Yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see. Him. I mean, there's worse guys in. That's my problem is that you could well, every see, position you can find worse guys that are already in the Hall of Fame because obviously the game was a lot different back then. So uh, it's really hard to compare a guy now to a guy then simply based on exactly. WAR totals because sure. it's a different game. Um, sure, but yeah, I, I think he definitely falls. I mean, I would even say, I mean, Ben Zobers is a little step below Jeff Kent, but I would say, I would say Kent's closer to that range than to. Kinsler or Pedroia. I mean, those guys still have some years to play as well. So mm-hmm. they're obviously mm-hmm. a step below Kent based on just counting stats, I think. But yeah, he's about in that range. Well, so that, that's the, and, that's another name. I mean, look at like Chuck Knobloch. You remember Chuck Knobloch? He's the guy who's yeah. in that range as well. So Ugh. and there's a guy named Cupid Childs on this list, and I think that's great. Cupid Childs. <laughs> Cupid there Childs. you go. So should we talk well, about Trevor Hoffman? Because I mean, that's yeah, not an elephant in the let's, room, right? Let's do it. Uh, you know. I, I try not to be biased with the San Diego thing, but you know, should I apologize? Out of, out of a six hundred one saves, I, I probably saw a good five hundred of them. It's tough, I, you know. He pitched for eighteen years and, and was successful. You know, I know you're not a big stat guy as far as saves are concerned, and I, I agree with you that it's kind of a stat that kind of, someone has to get the last out, last out of the game. So. But I still respect the fact that he went out there and, and more often than not was successful. And that 98 season, he saved 50, 50 something games and was flawless. You know, if a closer deserves to be in, Hoffman definitely does. And, you know, I'm not saying he's better than Rivera, I'm not saying he's better than, than the closers that are in there currently, but he's definitely in the conversation. Okay, if I read this line with a Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. so 1,089 innings pitched, a 287 ERA, mm-hmm. and a 26 WAR, and zero saves. Awkward silence. <laughs> Wait, what happened? I was asking you if that person deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And zero saves. Zero saves. Uh, of course not. But six hundred and one saves is is something, and and a one point zero five eight WHIP in 
and all those innings is something worth crediting. I mean, we're talking about letting Musina in, and Musina's ERA was almost four. Schilling's was is three and a half. Okay, but so, you can, can you compare a starting pitcher to a guy who pitches one inning though? No, it is different, but in the same yeah. regard, we're talking about putting down Walker for playing in Colorado. Why are we condemning Hoffman because he was put in a safe situation, which is a an important part of the game? Yeah, obviously the last three yards. I mean, Last I'm, not, I'm not can necessarily be. condemning him. I'm just kind of stripping context. If you no, had a guy with no saves, you wouldn't vote for him. So why should saves alone put him And, in? and the, the war stuff is, you know, what, a, what is a good – I mean, Hoffman had a two or three, four war in his first five or six uh, inning – or five, first five or six seasons, and, and then kind of tailed off from that. But what does a good closer earn as far as wars anyway, as far as wars concerned anyways? One or two games per season? I mean, what what's the, the top end on that? I mean, I think Mariano Rivera had, I think, uh, one or two that were four or five. Uh, Kenley Jansen, the last two years, was over three, just as a yeah. modern-day reference. Yeah, look, at, look at Hoffman in 96, 97, 98. He had, he had one yeah, season I mean, where I'm he was like saying, a 4.5. I'm not saying he's not a Hall of Famer, because, I, I mean, I think he is a Hall of Famer. It's just, for me, he's very far down the totem pole in terms of players that need to be voted in, I guess. To me, it's like yeah. I can't. It's hard for me to compare a closer to a third baseman that played every day for whatever twenty years, or an outfielder that played every day for twenty. I mean, those guys. It's just hard to really fathom that. You know what I mean? Okay, Mariano Rivera had one season of four. Yeah, just one season of four, and then he had uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of two, and then a couple threes in there. Okay. But yeah, I think Mariano Rivera. I think yeah, I think it's there's not really a discussion to be had that Mariano Rivera is the best closer of all time. But yeah, like you said, I don't think that I don't think that if there's already closers in the Hall of Fame, so I don't think you can just say like like Keith Law says, uh, closer stupid. I mean, I, I don't agree with that because I mean it's a pit, it's a position, right? Yeah. Sure, they're not as good as starters. They're they're in that they're in that position for a reason. But at the end of the day, you can't discredit what they've done. I mean, no. For me, it's and, just, I, mean, I, I can't we, really. We talked, we talked I, I just about can't put him above other players. Hoffman in '95 had a 3.9 WAR, '96 a 3.1 WAR, and '97 a 4.1 WAR. Those were his three best years, obviously. But I mean, that's pretty damn respectable for for a closer, for someone who, like you say, only pitches one inning a game. That's that's a lot of points. I mean, that's what we would love that from Will Myers at, at 150 games a season, wouldn't we? Oh, uh, Will Myers. Uh, Sorry, I had to bring him in. Um, you know, Hoffman's going to get in. It's just a matter of time. If it's not this year and he misses by a, a miracle in one or two votes like last season, he will be in eventually. It's going to happen. Yeah, I agree. He's one, of, he's one of the best at the position. Whether or not you like the, the stat or the position is, is another thing, but mm-hmm. it, it is what it is. Uh, Fred McGriff is someone I'd love to get a, give a shout-out to, someone who deserves to get in, someone who's, what, seven – seven home runs shy of the 500 home run oh, ball man, uh, 500 home run mark but i mean this was at a time when the ball wasn't juiced i mean this is at a time when 500 home runs meant something so and a former padre at that so man james you, should, sound, he, you sound old yeah i do sound old <laughs> when it meant something <laughs> yeah it did mean damn these kids nowadays get off the grass but you know i don't even know i i have to like look up fred mcgriff like i don't even know where he sits at this point his his war totals are nothing impressive uh i'm trying to pull it up and my page won't load (laughs) yeah i mean he's just it's just nothing impressive about his numbers 
Yeah, I'm going to pull them up. And, I'm going to compare them to... I like Baseball Reference because they have a leaderboard where you can compare... You can compare by position. So, like, you uh-huh. see which guys are in the hall and other guys that you can compare to. So, so what well, like, you know... So, oh, look, let's look at Todd Helton real quick. So, yeah, Todd Helton's uh, below the average of first base Hall of Famers in war. But, I mean, he's pretty close. Uh, let's look at... Who are we talking about? Fred McGriff. Mm-hmm. Fred McGriff. What is that, 55 career he's at, war? He's at 52 war, according to 52. baseball reference. I mean, I know there's okay. differences between the differences. Yeah, 52 war. The average yeah. is 66. So, I mean, he's pretty he's pretty far below there. But yeah. At the same time, there's first basemen that are in the Hall of Fame. I mean, Orlando Cepeda, Frank Chance. Uh, there's guys already in that are below him, so you can definitely mm-hmm. make the argument. Some guy named Jim Bottomley. Man, there you go. This is rough. High Pockets Kelly. There's a guy named High Pockets Kelly. That might be the. Best God, you gotta name. love those those. Uh, I might those have to name. Names. I might have to name this podcast Hot po- High Pockets Kelly because. High Pockets. You can't beat a name like that. Like that is the most. Dude, there's a guy in the Hall of Fame named High Pockets Kelly. I am. Nice. Good old High Pockets. There's a guy named Oh Charlie Kamiski. I know who that is. He's got a yeah. seven career WAR, but I mean it, it's it's you know it's Kamiski so. Yeah, um, exactly. Dude, high pockets. Oh my. All right, on the on the high pockets note, let's let's put the the Hall of Fame talk to bed. Uh in the next what is it? When are we supposed to find out? Wednesday? Thursday? Uh, Wednesday, I think 6 Eastern they have like the announcement show. Okay. So, so the next couple days we'll get an answer. We'll, uh, we'll get an answer. This uh talk will go to bed uh for another 9 to 12 months and then we get to re, re uh, kindle it later on. Uh, let's talk about some Padre news. There are, there is some late Padre breaking news, as the team has signed uh, Alan Craig, former Cardinal, uh, great. I want to say he had some pretty decent seasons with St. Louis. Uh, this time, adding a Cardinal outfielder didn't cost us Corey Kluber, so that's that's a good thing. Right? Oh man, that's painful. It's the same mediocre outfield. I mean, this is Ryan Ludwig part two, right? I mean, I, it's, what do you expect to see from Craig, uh, if anything? I'm glad the Padres finally made that big first base move that they we were all waiting for. <laughs> this, is, this is what I was waiting for. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, just, I wrote up an article earlier tonight. It's going to go up tomorrow. So I, I don't want to delve too deep into it because I've already, I've already done too much looking at Alan Craig for my own good. Um, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I would, I would honestly be surprised if he even makes it through spring training. Um, he was really bad last time he was in the big leagues, and he was really bad in Triple A too for a guy who was yeah. so good yeah. with the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, he had an injury. I think it was 2014, a foot injury that really kind of set him back. And I don't know if he ever really recovered from that because you know how foot injuries can be kind of um, nagging. You, you see a guy like Miguel Cabrera is kind of had some injuries in that regard. He's kind of slowed him down. So. I, I'm not expecting much, um, but for the price of a minor league signee with an invite to spring training, I mean, you can't really complain, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Will Myers, you're on notice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The the Alan Craig era is here, so you better watch out. He's he's, he's breathing down your neck. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, the Craig signing a right-handed bat, it's just, it really doesn't do anything for me. We'll see. I, I, you know, he did have some productive years, but that was that seemed like, seemed like eons ago. Um, in other news, uh, a lot of young starting pitchers have been invited to spring training major league camp. Uh, Cal Quantrill, Jacob Nix, uh, Joey Lucchese, uh, Eric Lauer. It's 
interesting to see all these young names get that invite. Of course, that doesn't mean they're going to make the team out of spring. They're, I want to say, almost guaranteed to start in AAA, but or or Double A for that matter. But it's it's interesting to see these young guys get a taste of the major league camp as this season as this team starts to progress, and we're beginning to see that next wave of talent start to crest and start to come into to San Diego. It's 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 approaching the, the shoreline. Uh, there's a lot of relief pitchers. Trey Wingenter, uh, Jeff Sanders wrote a, a great piece on Baseball America about him. Uh, we had highlighted him last month. That's someone to keep an eye on in this bullpen. There's there's uh, Brad Wick. There's a lot of young players that are that are probably going to make this team out of, out of spring. And uh, you know it's 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 a good time to be a Padre fan. It's another way. The next wave is coming, right, Patrick? Yeah, I mean spring training might actually be watchable this year. Yeah, yeah, it, it will be because it'll be interesting to see what these young kids have, what what exactly they do against major league pitching and against major league quality hitters. It's it's going to be fun. I mean, there's just so many young players on this team to, to to talk about. Can I just say how weird it is to see Tyson Ross's face on a non roster invite page? Yeah, <laughs> and Chris yeah. Young. It's like these guys seem out of place. Like you're like scrolling yeah. a list. Like oh yeah, 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 yeah. And it's, oh, Tyson Ross. <laughs> So weird. That's, that's it's good stuff though. When 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 we talk about bringing in like those four young starting pitchers to camp, they're going to get a chance to to work with Tyson Ross, a chance to work with the Clayton Richard, a chance to work with the Chris Young, and, and learn their work ethic. And and I've heard glowing reports from all three of those guys as far as clubhouse presence and as far as what they bring to the game, the intangible. So the Padres are doing it right. They're they're structuring their team the correct way bringing in a, a lot of young uh, coaches, uh, if you will, coach-type coach, ty- coach type players, if you will, to, to mentor these these young kids and, and grow them the right way. So, God, I just can't wait for spring. It, and what are we, a couple weeks away, three, four weeks away? It's uh, it's coming, folks. It's a, it's a good time, right? Yeah, we're, I think, three weeks away from uh, pitchers and catchers. So we're almost there. Be patient. Nice. <laughs> we, are, we are almost there. Well, Baseball America has dropped their list. Uh, we shall talk to, or we're hoping to talk to Kyle Glazer uh, later on this week about the list. Uh, I'm sure we have some questions uh, that he would love to answer. Uh, I, I don't know, Patrick. It's it's a uh, it's tough going through these lists and, and always talking about them because they are just lists and, and, and people's opinions, and, and more often than not, they they can be wrong. But when you're a Padre fan. Prospect lists like this are, are just uh, just something to, to get you through the day, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, all right, yeah, I think we're pretty boring otherwise. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, think about doing this uh, in you know 2004, 2005, 2006 when when the Padres had Kevin Nicholson as their top prospect. I mean, ugh. it must be horrid to be a uh, a, a, I guess a Giants. What are the, what's the worst? Uh, the, what's, the, what's the least? The last ranked team as far as prospects are concerned right now is would it be the Giants, the Royals? Uh, probably the Royals uh, and the Giants. Probably get an honorable mention. The Marlins. Yeah, that that group is yeah, pretty bad. I mean, those fans Trash. just must see MLB pipeline stuff and just be just roll their right. eyes and like, Ugh, and yeah. <laughs> and I mean, most of those teams can't even see anything good at the at the major league level either. I mean, look at the Royals. I mean, just tears all around. I mean, at least they won a World Series, so I, I yeah. can't give them too hard of a time. But yeah, yeah, it's rough for them. It is. 
All right. Uh, I think we are good to go. Anything else before we head on out of here? I think we pretty much hit on the current topics. Uh, still waiting on Mr. Hosmer to make a decision. And hopefully that has some kind of effect on, on the rest of the construction of the Padre roster. Yeah, will it ever end? Will it ever end? I, I don't know. you, you got to think that... It, I mean, well, obviously it's got to end at some point. He's not going to sit out the year, but... The Padres have drawn a line in the sand. Uh, Scott Boris and Eric uh, Eric Carlos, Eric Hosmer have drawn a line in the sand, and we'll just have to wait and see. I, I don't, I don't see any team stepping in as a as a late team to to give him what he wants. So at this point, I think the Padres are, are in pretty good shape. We'll just have to see exactly what they did offer him or what they have offered him. I've I've heard some conflicting reports that uh, are a little scary. Just say no to Hosmer. Just say oh, no, yeah. Uh, Bob Nightingale reported earlier this week to one of our younger uh, writers that uh, Eric Hosmer was offered a seven-year, $140 million contract by the Padres. Now, this is Bob Nightingale we're talking about. Grain but, of salt. But Giant grain of salt. At some, there's got to be some truth to that, and at what 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 is it? The years that are off? Is it the dollar amount that's that's off? Can I just uh, say already... that, can I just say that Lorenzo Cain is still available? Wink wink yeah. nudge nudge. Yeah, I'm all on that I mean, bandwagon if now. If we're talking about winning now and, and doing the smart thing, that is the smart thing. I mean, I would die on that hill. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Preller's already indica- indicated, the front office has already indicated that they have a couple of different routes that they want to go, whether or not Hosmer signs. So we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, if Eric Hosmer signs and Myers is forced to left field, there's going to have to be some movement. There's, 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 some, you know, where's Jose Perella going to play? Where, what's the infield is still crowded. There's, there's going to be some moves after that. And if he doesn't sign, you'd have to think that the team's going to want to allocate some of that money somewhere, whether it's a starting pitcher or whether it's bargain diving for someone like Lorenzo Cain on a, on a one-year deal or something, or Mustakas on a one-year deal. That could happen. We'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. This, this, it's going to be interesting next couple of weeks because these guys have got to be starting to get really desperate on, on where they're going to be in 2018. Uh, I'm sure they're hounding their agents all the time on, on the progression of the, these talks, but it's uh, this has been an interesting winter. Uh, God, with next season with Harper and Machado set to hit the mark and, and Donaldson's and, and, and maybe a Kershaw or Baumgartner, it's, it's, this, is not a, this is not trending the right direction for them. Or, or is this uh, teams trying to save pennies for next season? I guess we'll have to wait and see, right? Yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's getting weird, and I think hopefully within the next week or two we have some resolution because there are still so many guys that haven't signed. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's amazing. It Usually is, they it all is... sign by December, like the first week yeah. of January, and here we are with everybody still available. <laughs> yeah, basically everybody, except what? I think Carlos Santana was probably the, the highest. Uh, yeah, I think he was the tiered biggest contract free agent. so far, I believe. Yeah, I mean, that's in. That was like sixty million. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have Just to wait and see. Just every guy out there still probably can get at least that, or I mean, should have got at least that. So we'll see. But yeah, I think yeah. the Potters should start throwing money at all these guys. Like sign Lance Lynn, sign Alex Cobb, sign Kane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you might sign, as well. If, if the prices fall enough, you might as well just sign all of them, right? 
Sign them all and then trade them in July for everyone's best prospects. Hey, that's what I, that's that's what I say. Yeah. All right, well, I think we should probably get out of here before we uh, just talk ourselves to, to death. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thank you, folks, for joining us. Uh, this is episode 82 of the East Village Times podcast. Uh, Patrick, go ahead and take us out. Oh, man, we're getting close to 100. Um, yeah. Yeah, you can find us on Podbean. That's where we're hosted. Uh, we are on any platform you get your podcast. Um, I'm not going to name them all, but there's lots. Um, uh, we are on Twitter at EBT Podcast. James is at EBT underscore news at EBT underscore J Clark. I'm Patrick Burr 93, and we are the East Village Times Podcast, and we are signing EBT out. EBT is out here broadcasting. EBT is out here podcasting. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Padres EBT Podcast. Padres EBT Podcast.